Well, uh, I, uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just dive straight in. We've got a lot of work to do. I don't know what this says about me, so I'll just, I'll just confess something. I don't know what a normal like, sermon prep time is, but, but I speak for 40 minutes, and, and as I prepare uh, for this message, uh, like, it just kept stacking up. I, I think I worked for about 15 hours to talk for 40 minutes, so the math doesn't quite work out. It's just, it's just a lot, and so uh, what I want to do is just be faithful to what we're what we're talking about. I, I hope, and my prayer is that it is useful to you. If if I had to just sum it up, we we're in the middle of this series called No Compartments, and I, I don't know if you've if you've been around non Christians long enough, or people who maybe they're not non Christians, they're just mad at the church, but they say, you know what, I don't want to go to church because the church is just full of a bunch of. Hypocrites. They always, it's the word that they love. It's the word that, that we, and the truth is, is that if you take a step back, like first I'm defensive. I'm like, hold on just a second. Let me tell you about me. And then if you, if you just take a step back, I'm like, yeah, I've been in church with some hypocrites. So, so it's, it's not wrong, but, but the, the, the foolishness of the statement is, you know, it's like saying, I don't want to go to the hospital because it's full of sick people. Well, that's where they go. You know, that's, that's where you go when you need help. You go to the hospital. And, uh, this idea of being a hypocrite is, is this idea that you say one thing, but you do another thing, right? That's kind of a definition of a, of a hypocrite. That seems to be what Jesus talked about in Scripture. You, you, you say you believe one thing, but your actions and your heart and the way you treat others is the opposite of that thing. It's betraying what you're saying. And, and so when they throw the word hypocrite out, and when people say that, they're, they're kind of dismissing it as, you don't really believe what you say you believe. But if you talk to self-proclaimed hypocrites, you ask them, they're like, no, I, I really believe that. I really believe in the truths of the gospel, but when I get here, like, I start to act different. I start to think different. I start to behave differently over here than I do right here. And so what we see isn't the problem is hypocrisy, people, people not believing what they really say that they believe. What we see is that people believe a thing, but then their actions are going in a different direction. What we see is that there's actually compartments, that there, there are these desires, there's these temptations to kind of build little walls. And then you have the version of you that you are at work, and then the version you are you are with your friends, the version of you at church. And when you're at church, the hypocrites have all of the same songs and all the same gospel. They believe these things, but then they take a different version of themselves to work. And when someone catches that, when someone sees it, they don't say, oh, bless your heart. You have a compartment you need to work on. No, they say, you're a hypocrite. I don't want to talk to you. And so, and so what we see uh, and what we're talking about is this idea that the Lord is inviting us to have a compartment-free life. We're basing this on the good, or excuse me, the great commandment out of Mark. If you want to turn to Mark 12 to review that, um, we'll, we'll see it. Someone, someone tries to corner Jesus. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him. Hey, Jesus, you can't tell me the most important thing in the world. And Jesus is like, bet I can. And so uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. God is one, and then he points to all these different facets of us, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and says, you could love God as one unit. Looking at these four things, you can love him as one. We're invited to be like our God. We're created in the image of God, and yet his little image bearers are running around with compartments all over, looking like different images along the way, and we're invited to be one image 
One, one person following God. We're wholly in love with him with our mind. We're wholly in love with him uh, with our uh, soul, or with our heart, with our strength. And so we're just exploring that. And, and I just want to talk today about, about the heart. The heart is, it is a, 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 a confusing, deceptive little piece of your, of your body and your psyche. Uh, the Greek word for heart, if you were here that week, uh, this is probably the only nerd part I'm going to have today, uh, is, is cardia. You, you, you can hear heart words in the word cardia. That's the Greek word for heart. And they would understand, the, the Greeks would understand if, if you, if you cut someone open and you pulled that little muscle out of their chest, they would say, that's the cardia. And then if you ask them like, okay, well, what do you, what do you serve someone with? What is your will? And they say, that's your cardia. They they also understood that it's different than a piece of your psyche, but it is your cardio. We say our heart is beating in our chest, but my heart is broken when someone dumps us, right? Anybody been dumped? You gone through that? I'm the only one? Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so, so if, if you were to have ever been broken up with and dumped, you say the phrase, my heart is broken. But the thing in your chest isn't literally broken. It's still beating. It's beating harder and more angrily, and it's like, oh, I got all this adrenaline. But, but it's, it's some piece inside you. It's a piece of your psyche. And so the, the, the biblical authors would have understood the heart to be like the inner man. It's the center of your will. It's the center of your desires, it's the part of your, your psyche, it's the part of you, your, yourself that has all these wants and desires. Uh, in, in English, we would put it something along the lines of like your identity, like who you truly are on the inside. Outside of all the facade, outside of, outside of uh, what other people think you are, the heart is who you really truly are. You're more than your job. You're more than your, your rank in your family. You're more than what people say about you, good or bad. That's not really who you are. That's not your identity. But your heart is going to be what tells you who you are. Your heart is what protects you from so much pain. So many of us, we've, we've been in a situation. I can't tell you that, uh, honestly, honestly, uh, about every week for the last two years, this conversation has happened. I'm ready to try church again, but I don't want to, I don't want to put my heart out there in that way. I got hurt last time I did that. And so I don't, I don't want to do that again. Your heart is trying to protect you from this thing that is good because it was one time hurt. That's, that's what your heart does. And so I, I just want to, I just want to explore how do you love the Lord your God with your heart? Followers of Jesus should see symmetry between our heart and our actions. We should see symmetry between our desires and the things that we do. Um, when we find inconsistencies between the things that we want to do and the things that we actually do, followers of Jesus refuse to excuse them, refuse to say, oh, you don't understand the truth, refuse to be like, oh, that's none of your business. Followers of Jesus refuse to excuse them. We address them. If we're going to do this right, if we're going to love the Lord our God with our heart rightly, when we find, not if, but when we find an inconsistency, when we find that we were being a hypocrite in that moment, we don't say, oh, you don't know the real me, or uh, mind your business, or don't judge lest you be judged, sucker, and then you quote scripture and you're like, ha-ha. No, no, no. What we say is, ah, you're right. I really wanted to do this other thing. But I'm doing this instead, aren't I? I? Give me a second. I need to go talk to God. And then we remove ourselves from that situation. We're not defensive, but we address it. So let, let me ask, some, ask and answer some questions. Uh, we're going to be uh, switching around in the Bible a lot. Uh, here, the first question is, this, does God care 
about our heart. Does God care about your heart? I think most people are like, well, yeah, of course he does. Well, uh, yes is the answer, but it's, it seems to me he cares a great deal about it, honestly. And so uh, our four words from the Shema are love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, let's look at some of those words. The, the word uh, uh, mind uh, shows up in the English Bible 139 times. Okay, that's a lot. If you want to talk about something, you say it 139 times, that's a lot. The word strength shows up 228 times and very close in, in second place is the soul 271 times. These are topics that are important in the Bible. They're talked about all the way through. How, how many times do you think the Bible mentions the word heart and addresses the heart? Think, things like 300, like 400? It's a ton. Look, look at this. Show, show how many it is. The Bible refers to the heart 862 times It's in almost every book of the Bible. There's only 66 books in the Bible, and it refers to the heart 862 times. There's about 1,200 chapters in the Bible, and 862 times the heart is mentioned. It seems to be that the heart is of great importance to the Lord. Now, as I've, as I've studied this, I, I think, I think I want to be very clear about this. I don't believe that the heart is sometimes four times more important than the soul. I don't think that. What I think it is, is that the Lord knows that we're going to be more confused by our heart than we are by our mind. Like some of us, like we get math wrong and we don't think, we don't defend it. We're just like, oh, I got math wrong. But some of us, we, we get a matter of the heart wrong and we, then we defend it and we double down and we're like, oh, you know, you don't really know. And so I believe that the Lord brings it up over and over again because he's wanting us to see that it's our heart. It's our heart. It's not them. It's our heart. It's not that person. It's not that institution. It's, it's your heart. It's your heart where it's at. Some passages that reflect this. Psalm 7, 9 says this. Psalm 7, 9, it says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. That's a great prayer, by the way. Can we just agree on that? We know some wicked people want their evil to come to an end. Psalm 7, 9. Uh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and the hearts, O oh, righteous God. God is going to test our minds, but he's also going to test our hearts. It's going to be looked at. Again, Proverbs 17, 3 says this. Says the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the hearts. You know, if you're if you're a a, a, a smith, I don't I don't know if it's a blacksmith, a goldsmith, silversmith, some kind of a smith, uh, and you've got to test how good that metal is. You put it in the furnace. You've got to you've got to do something with it. And the the author of Proverbs is saying the Lord is kind of like that with the heart. He 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 lets our heart go through these trials and he tests us. The the Lord tests the heart. Uh, in First Samuel, Samuel is trying to figure out what's wrong with our king. King Saul stinks. We, we all know that. We had a series about that a few months ago. King Saul was the worst. And, and Samuel is like really mad about it. He's like, I can't believe God let me pick this king. We need a better king. Who am I going to pick? And in First Samuel 16, 7, the Lord is talking to the prophet Samuel. And he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. See, the Lord doesn't care how, how well put together you are. That's why we don't have a dress code. Well, I mean, you got to wear some clothes coming in, but, but we don't, like, no, nobody's like mad if you're not wearing a suit, right? But if you did wear a suit, you'd fit in right here because the Lord doesn't care about outward appearance and neither do we. Uh, the Lord looks on the inward man, He looks on the heart. Something my dad taught me when I was a kid is uh, very often we judge other people by their actions, yet we judge ourselves by our intentions. 
They, they were late, and you say, well, you were late, you, you, you shouldn't have been late, but then when we're late, we're like, ah, oh, I tried my best. You know, you know, I had too many red lights, if you only knew. We judge others by their actions because we see them and we can measure them, and it's all of this. Oh, oh you, you, you showed up on time, and you were, uh, you were here, and you worked hard, and we see all of this effort, and we judge them on that. We give them good praise on that. But then the Lord sees their heart, and perhaps their heart wasn't in it for the right reason. Maybe they were doing that all to just like, I gotta find my value by putting in all of this effort. I've gotta find my, my self-worth by showing up and doing this work. Um, we look on outward appearance. We look on actions. The Lord actually sees our heart. We need to, we need to be mindful of our heart. When, when Jesus invites us to love the Lord our God with our, with our heart, it's not just an arbitrary word. It's something that, that if we get it right is the path to amazing freedom an amazing hope. But if we get it wrong or if we ignore it, the heart is going to lie to us. The heart is going to deceive us. Your heart, uh, I believe, uh, this is going to come as a shock, uh, I believe your heart is a greater threat to you than the devil himself. Your heart is a greater threat to you than the devil. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 17.9 says this. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Last time I, I was preaching, I used this verse. I made the joke, like, wouldn't that make a great coffee cup? You know, like, what, don't you want that? Like, it's a plaque on your wall. I made that joke, and a week later, someone hands me a coffee cup with this verse. I was like, I got you something. So I've been, it's on my desk. I meant to bring it up. Uh, I'll, I'll get it later. The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart lies to you about what's really going on in your life. Uh, when, when I, uh, after Hurricane Harvey, uh, or I melted one of the two, my house got wet and I'm working. And like, when I, when I help other people work on their house, I do the whole like PPE. I got the mask. I got the gloves. I got the thing, but it's my own house. I've got to work. It's got to get done. And so I'm in there and I'm working. I'm going crazy. And, and I've been doing this for weeks at this point, just late into the night, 1 a.m., tearing sheetrock out, hauling wet stuff out. It's starting to mold. It's doing all the things that everybody else's house did. And one day I go to pick something up. I bend down and I pick something up. And in my chest, it felt like someone just shoved a knife in my chest. I lost my breath. I was terrified. And I stood up. I was like, what was that? I was like, okay. So I just kind of catch myself. I catch my breath and I go to pick that thing back up and it hit me again. It brought me to my knees and I was terrified. I'm having a heart attack. I don't know what's going on. So I book an appointment. I go to the doctor the very next morning. I say, I don't know what's going on, but I have this pain in my chest. It hurts so bad. They run their test. They do the EKG. They do this. And they say, you're not, you're not having a heart attack. I was like, I, I think I am. No, you're definitely not having a heart attack. You have pleurisy. You have an infection on the lining of your lungs because you're not putting that mask on you should have been wearing. And now every time you breathe and your lung touches anything, it feels like someone is stabbing you. I was like, are you sure? Because I feel like it's not that. I feel like that's a wimp's thing. Because you know what they prescribed me with? Ibuprofen. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Yesterday I thought I was going to die, and now you're prescribing me ibuprofen? Are you serious? And she goes, yeah, let me tell you how I know it's not your heart. One of the reasons I know it's not your heart because you're telling me your heart hurts. That doesn't make any sense. Well, when you have a heart attack, you know what hurts? What doesn't hurt is your heart. You know what hurts? Your shoulder. Your arm starts hurting. You might have a headache. Everything but your heart hurts when you have a heart attack. Why? Because your heart literally lies to you. Your heart literally lies to you about what the problem is. It says, no, it's your shoulder. What if I went to the doctor and I was like, oh man, my shoulder's attacking me. Oh, I'm having this pain. You don't, you don't do that. You think, oh, it's, it's nothing. And it's your heart slowly fading away, screaming for help, but it's lying to you. The heart is deceitful above all things that is sick and who can know it? 
If we're not careful, we go through life and we assume the best of our heart. And our heart says, yeah, believe that. Believe my intentions, but I'm going to secretly protect you from all the things I'm scared of. Because deep down inside, we, we tend to be like children, afraid of a world that has hurt us. Everybody, the human condition is one that, that we've been hurt in some way. And so the heart says, I'm never going to be hurt in that way again. And so what do we do? We don't get around people. We remove ourselves from that conversation. We attack. We speak up with our, with our voice. We, we, we get into the argument to shut them down. Why? Before they have a chance to hurt us. This isn't new information. We just, we just don't always apply it to ourselves. If you're a teacher in the room, you already know this. The bully in your classroom is the one with the worst broken heart. The bully in your classroom is the one who's hurting the most out of anybody in your classroom. And that's why they're hurting other people. Because their heart says, if I can just control this moment... I'm not going to be hurt in the same way that I was before. The heart is deceitful and it's sick. And Jeremiah, uh, he, he calls it out. Paul, uh, the, you know, the guy who writes Romans, he, he's talking about his heart. He's talking about things. And you tell me if this doesn't feel like something you have said yourself. I know it's true of me. Romans 7.15, Paul says this. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody else? Yes, come on. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Over and over again, Paul is like, I didn't want to do that, but then I said that. I tore them to shreds. I bet Paul, I bet Paul got his, his mouth got him in trouble more than anything else that Paul did. The, he, he, he wants to be better, but he does this thing that he hates. And then as soon as he does this thing that he hates, and who knows what it was that he was talking about, but I think everybody has an example that pops in mind. And he does this thing that he hates. He's like, oh, I hate when I do that. I hate when I treat her that way. I hate whenever I, I speak. I hate whenever I put my foot in my mouth that way. I hate, I'm not going to do that again. And what do you do a week later? Here I am again. Why do I do that? Because your heart is steering the ship more than what we like. The heart, the heart is saying, no, you're going to do that thing again. And your mind is like, no, please don't. I don't, I don't want to. And then you do the thing that you hate. It is deceitful and it is sick. It is a great threat. Look at James uh, chapter 4. James chapter 4 says this. You ever want to know like, why, why we get into the fights that we get into in life? While we feel like that, that one comment on Facebook deserves an hour of your response with your cyber warrior fingers, why it is that when someone belittles us, disrespects us, we've got to speak up and we've got to, we've got to set the record straight? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The heart, the heart is, is driving us, our passions, and is saying protect self. Protect self. Don't let anything else hurt you. But to be in a real healthy relationship with anybody, including the church, you have to put yourself in a position of being vulnerable. But last time you were vulnerable in a church is when they hurt you. So your heart says, don't do that again. And so your heart says, I'm going to protect myself. And as soon as anybody encroaches on that vulnerability, I'm going to attack. I'm going to put them in their place. I'm going to remove myself. The heart is, is pulling you away. And the Lord is saying, pay attention to that. 
Pay attention to that because it's your passions that are at war within you. If, if we trust the Lord's way over it, then we just have to, we have to put ourselves in positions that it is true. We can be hurt again. We can be, we can be vulnerable, but if it's a safe place, then it's the best place for healing and growth. I believe that your heart is a greater threat than you, to, to you than the devil. You get into an argument with someone. How many of us are like, Oh, that's just the devil trying to, trying to mess something up. The devil's probably just sitting back like, you know, I didn't have to do anything. That was really easy. Because this brother, this sister right here is not dealing with the heart. To love the Lord our God with our heart is to say, heart, you're going to lie to me. Heart, you're trying to protect me. You're trying to protect yourself. I understand. But I'm going to choose the Lord's ways over my ways. It is possible uh, for you to know your heart. It is possible for you to not only know your heart, I'm going to make the case that it's possible for you to know your heart and to steer your heart uh, in, in a direction that is better. See, w- w- one of the ways that we love the Lord our God with our heart is that we put our hands on the steering wheel and we stop letting it tell us where we're going to go. We're going to steer this ship. Um, the first way I want to point out that your heart, uh, that you can know your heart is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus. He's summing up uh, reasons why we shouldn't worry. He's summing up like uh, prayer. If you go look at Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about it. But then he sums it all up and he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So this is really helpful news for you, okay? Your heart will lie to you, but your treasures will not lie to you about your heart. Does that make sense? Uh, another way to say it is, if I want to know what's really important to you, I could ask you, and you will tell me things that are altruistic and beautiful and wonderful, or I can go get your bank statement, and I can see everywhere your money went. You, you know what I'm saying? Your money will tell you where your heart really is. You say, hey, heart, what's really important to me? The orphans. Hey, heart, what's really important to me? Those sick puppies. I got to do something about that. Hey, bank account, what's important to my heart? I don't know, apparently McDonald's. You know, like, like your bank account and your treasures will tell you more about your heart than your heart will if you, if you ask it. That's super helpful uh, to know what is true and what isn't. Uh, if you're married, one, one thing that may be helpful, like uh, a lot of married couples have like budget meetings and they sit down and they talk about like this is where we need to spend our money and keep doing that. Dave Ramsey approves. Uh, but what you could also do is you can pull up last month's uh, bank statement and be like, do these expenditures match what we're telling each other is the most important to us? You know, what's really important to me is that, that we have a retirement and that my family's taken care of and that, that I should do these things. And then I look over the last six months, what have I done to move towards that? Because my heart was steering the ship and, you know, you go to Quiznos too many times or something. We don't even have a Quiznos nearby. I don't know why this one restaurant that went bankrupt 10 years ago is what <laughs> popped in my head, but that's, that's where we are today. Uh, the, the, the flip of that, though, your treasures will tell you where your heart is. The flip of that is also true. You want your heart to go in a different direction, start putting money towards it. Start putting your time. There's other treasures besides money, by the way. Start putting your time towards it. Start putting your energy towards a thing. And what you'll find is that your heart will steer, it will start to agree with you. Yeah, yeah, that, that thing is important. There, there are some uh, non-Christian psychologists that have gotten on this bandwagon, and th- there's an app. You're, you're going to love this. I, and whoever thought of this, mm, I want to know him. I want, I want to, I want to be his friend because it's an app for you setting goals for yourself, like losing weight or you know going to the gym or whatever. Stop smoking, right? 
and, and the way that the app works is that it gives you a list of charities that you hate, okay? And so you tell it what you like. Let's say, let's say that you are, I don't know, uh, uh, pro-Texas, okay? You're pro-Texas, and you tell the app, I'm pro-Texas. And they're like, okay, I want you to put $300 towards California, just, just right here. And what it is is that it will hold the money in this, like, account. And if you fail your goal, if you fail your goal, it sends the money to California, and you're just so mad at it. And... <laughs> And, 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 and if you keep your goal, it's like, oh, here's your money back that, that you want. This guy has put no money into solving the world's problems, and yet people are doing this. Like, I don't know why, but it helps. Yeah, it does help because Jesus says, wherever you put your treasure, your heart will follow. It's, it's, a, it's a biblical thing. It's not just, anyway, psychologists uh, be discovering things that Jesus knew all the time. Uh, our treasure tells us where our heart is, but also we can point our treasures in different directions and in so doing, point our hearts. But not just, not just our, our treasures. Look at Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to turn there as well. Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 23. Well, that's not right. Ah, see? Thank you. 12, I wrote it down wrong. 1233. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so uh, this is Jesus. He says, either either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you know what kind of tree uh, uh, oranges come from? Yeah, orange tree. And tree apples come from apple tree. If you look at an orange tree and you pull an apple from it, just run. Like somebody's messing with you. That is not right. We know that trees produce like-kinded fruit. And so Jesus uses this truth to unpack the rest. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Here's, here's another truth of Scripture, is that your heart will lie to you, but your mouth will reveal to you what's in your heart. Proverbs says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words and your actions are a reflection of your heart. When you're, when you're in an argument and you go for the, go for the, 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 the throat with your words, like, like you, you said something later, like, I should not have brought that up. Like we solved that like a month ago and I shouldn't have brought that up. Um, yes, apologize. Yes, work on it. But, but that, that's a more of a symptom of your heart. Let's also talk about the heart as, as well. Let's look at the heart and see, like, why, why is this phrase right there? Your actions reveal your heart as well. When, when, you, when you walk and you pout and you uh, um, have your head down and someone says, is everything okay? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. You're not fine, <laughs> and everybody knows it. But what is wrong? I don't know, but it's something to do with the heart because the heart will lie to you, but your actions are telling me that there's something bothering you. Our heart, or our actions and our words can let us know and help us steer our heart. Uh, the, the last one I want to look at is this, is Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. How can you know your heart? How can you steer your heart? Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God, that is, that is scripture, that is the Bible. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart will lie to you, 
But the word of God will point to you and say, hey, this is what your heart's thinking right now. Did you, you, have you experienced that? You, have you been in, in a sermon? I, I'll have some people like, Jesse, I needed to hear that you stepped on my toes. Didn't plan to. That's not my job. My job is just to explain to you God's word, right? It's funny that God's word knows the intentions and can split the divisions of our heart and our mind and says, this, this is really what you're thinking. James kind of picks up on the same uh, topic and he says that, that the word of God is like a mirror that you hold it up. And we're like, we're like men, women who go and look in the mirror. How foolish are we when we look in the mirror and get a true reflection of ourselves and walk away and do nothing? You look in the mirror, you got like a big piece of broccoli in your teeth. You're like, that's fine. I'll deal with it later. And you, you go and you walk around and people are like, hey, bro, you got like stinky broccoli breath. Yeah, yeah, I'll deal with it later. You should have dealt with it when it was in the reflection, right? It was in the mirror. James says that the word of God, the Bible is like a mirror. The Hebrew says that it tells us our heart. You can know it, but it's going to lie to you. So you got to look at your actions. You have to look at your words. You have to look at your treasures. You have to look in God's word and let it, let it do business with you and unpack it. But we're not here to study the heart. We're here to figure out how can we love God with our heart. Last week, we said, how do you love God with your mind? This week, how do you love God with your heart? Here, here are some, some thoughts about that. We love God with our heart when we, when we get a new heart. Uh, Ezekiel uh, 36, 26 says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, uh, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The Lord is promising Ezekiel that that heart of stone, that rock-hard heart, it's not what God designed for you. Your heart has hardened in part to protect you, and rightfully so. The world is a traumatic place. But I'm going to warn you, having a hard heart is not the place you want to spend the rest of your time. Uh, scripture is full of stories of people who harden their heart. The Pharaoh hardens his heart after each of the plagues hits. He, the Pharaoh hardens his heart. I'm not going to listen to God. The Pharaoh hardens his heart. I'm not going to listen to God. He gets to the ninth plague. It's over. The Lord hardens his heart. Last week when we we're looking at Romans 1, we look at, you know, people are doling their minds, doling their minds. They're hardening their hearts. They're hardening their hearts. And eventually the Lord's like, I'm, I'm not going to convict you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you feel that twinge. So whether it's grace or curse, he finishes the job of hardening the heart. You, you were not designed to have a heart that is protecting you from all of the problems of the world. That's the Lord's job. You're, you're trying to hide from previous trauma. You have a hard heart. I would, I would encourage you to, to seek the Lord. It, it takes a new heart, a new heart of, of flesh, that the Lord will soften your heart. This is, this is part of being the new creation. When, when we as Christians claim that Jesus transforms lives, it's not just all head stuff, that he literally can rekindle a heart. That, that to be a new creation, to confess in Jesus as Lord, is to be, is to be made new. And be sure of this, that the Lord will finish the good work that he completed in you. You let him put a new heart in you, and you start to grow in him. How do you love the Lord your God with your heart? It's to not accept having a hard heart. And when you do see a hard heart, you talk to him. You, you bring it to him. You're like, I'm using this to save me and to protect me, but I need, I need some help. Proverbs 4.19 says this about guarding our hearts. Proverbs 4. This is like a, the way this is written is like a father giving like sage advice to a son. He says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Isn't that true? 
They're just walking around tripping over stuff. And they're like, I don't even understand. I don't, I don't understand why this problem keeps coming up. Well, it's because you're in darkness. It's the way of the wicked. However, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those uh, who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Another word for that word keep right there is guard. We, we should be protectors of our heart. Guard your heart, because out of it are going to flow springs of life. Listen, parents, uh, real quick. Um, if, 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 you, if you don't realize this, one of your jobs as a parent is to protect your children's heart. There, there are illnesses and sicknesses in this world that can enter a child's heart at a young age, and they're going to deal with that for the rest of their lives. Protect your children's heart. Uh, I would tell you that if, if you give your children uh, like cell phone and computer, that you would have the, the password to that. Uh, I would I would say like parents check in on your kids like how are things going with your friends at school because uh, anyway uh, there's there's a lot more to be said about that we'll have a whole parenting talk later but parents help guard the hearts of your children there's some poisons out there but also you yourselves adults like we're not immune to all the poisons of the world and so we should guard our hearts from some things there are some things in this world that are not a temptation to you they're not a problem for you and you don't really need to guard against that. And there are some of us that are very weak in a very specific area. If you're a recovering alcoholic, maybe you just don't go you know, to that one location that is the greatest temptation. Guard your heart from that, and so on and so forth. Guard your hearts. Proverbs 25, this will be our last verse. Proverbs 25 says this. It says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The, what's going on inside your heart is like a deep, bottomless well that most of us ignore. We just let it do what it's going to do, and we just, we just let it run amok and do whatever it's going to do. But, but a, a man of wisdom is going to do the hard work to draw out that water, to look around, like, what's going on inside that? August uh, 8th of last year, August 8th, 2021, I, I, it was a Sunday. We were here. Uh, we had baptism. It was a baptism Sunday. It was wonderful. We, we went to our usual spot out there. We baptized some people. It was a great service. After the service, uh, I'm, I'm exhausted. I go home. Uh, I'm sitting on, on a porch. Uh, I'm resting. I'm about to fall asleep. I'm doing zero strenuous activity. And then uh, like a white light <laughs> pops in my eye. And I thought, oh, that's weird. You know how you see stars, right? I think I've shared this story once before. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I kind of blink a couple of times. It takes about 10 seconds. It goes away. Uh, the next day, it happens again. The next day, it happens and doesn't go away. I wake up with this white light in my eye, and I'm blind in the middle of my eye. Beginning on August 8th, I started going blind in my eye. By August 13th, I'm freaking out. Like, I've got to do something about this. And so I go to the eye doctor. Why? Because I have an eye problem, right? I'm blind in my eye. I have an eye problem. I go to the eye doctor. They take some images of my eye, and the blood vessels in the back of my eye have exploded. And she's like, you need to go to the ER. I'm like, no, I have an eye problem. No, you have, you have something wrong with your heart. You need to go look at that. I definitely don't have a heart problem. I definitely have an eye problem. And trust me, I can't see. She goes, okay, but I need you to go to the ER. And so I said, okay, I will, and then I didn't. Uh, I left. I called a doctor that I trusted, and I said, hey, doc, uh, this, this quack says that I don't have an eye problem, but I'm blind. And he will tell me your symptoms. I explain the symptoms. What's your blood pressure? I explain my blood pressure. You definitely have a heart problem. You need to go to the doctor. 
And so I eventually make my way to a doctor and I say, I don't know why I'm here. I have an eye problem. No, you have, you have, you have a heart problem. One doctor says you have a heart problem. You need to go see the heart doctor. I go to the eye doctor again. Instead, I go to the ophthalmologist and he says, you definitely have an explosion in the back of your eyeball. That's why you can't see. Um, but I'm not going to treat that right now because why? I don't have an eye problem. I have a heart problem. I make it to a cardiologist. He's looking at everything. He says, what are your symptoms? You're blind? That's crazy. You definitely have a heart problem. We need to look at that. And so they put me on all these tests. They do all their things. They start digging around. I have MRIs. I have scans of my brain. They're looking for this. I had, listen to me, I had a stroke a year ago in the back of my eye. And every doctor I said said, that's wild that it didn't hit you in the brain. That would have done some damage, but you're just blind in the eye. So, you know, good for you. It's like, but I have an eye problem. You don't. You have a heart problem. I get on blood thinners, blood pressure medicine. They run all their tests. To this day, they never found out what was going on. Uh, my heart is healthy, I'm happy to say. Uh, it, it cleared up, whatever it was. They are in 100% agreement. Jesse, you had a heart problem. I did regain my sight in my eye after some time, but everything in me, everything I knew, everything I literally with my eyes I could see, it was an eye problem. My body was screaming at me, it's an eye problem. And all of the experts, all of the people who knew better says it's not an eye problem, it's a heart problem. Let me tell you something. I don't know what you are claiming to be the problem is that you want the gospel to do something. Is it a marriage problem? No, it's probably a heart problem. Is it, is it a, an anger problem? Oh, I have an anger. I have a terrible temper. I have an anger problem. No, it's a heart problem. We have a budgeting problem. We have to, we, we're arguing about money all the time. I have a money problem. I have a job problem. I have a, I have a coworker problem. You probably don't. You probably have a heart problem. And all the experts would say, the Lord would say, let me work on the heart. And we run from that, don't we? Because we want to handle the money. We want to handle the argument. We want to handle the fighting. And the Lord says, let me work on your heart. Give it to me. Trust me with it. I'm, going to, I'm a good heart doctor. I'm going to help you. When we've done the hard work of examining our heart, we learn that we can worship equally on these mountaintop experiences, but also in the deep trenches of grief when our heart has led us into a problem. We're in that argument that the Lord is still good then. We can worship him through our grief. See, the untrained heart, my heart, your heart, all of our hearts, we run from discomfort. We don't want to do the hard work. We run from it. But followers of Jesus, we learn that there's a beauty and treasure buried in that grief. There's something worth value if we would just dig down deep enough and pull it out. If we're going to love the Lord our God with our heart, we're going to let him do some business with it. We're going to let him work on it. And when we have a symptom that says that there's a heart problem, we're going to just trust him with that and keep returning it back to him where it, to, until eventually our actions line up with our desires. Let me pray, uh, and then we will watch the cue together. Father, we come to you. Um, we come to you in our weakness, knowing that our heart is going to lie to us and has lied to us our whole lives. Um, help us, Father, to, to walk in truth. Uh, help us to love you with our heart. Lord, when you, when you are leading us, whether we're uh, going into grief, we're going to seasons of sorrow or seasons of joy, Father, help us to find our heart in you. Uh, help, help us find true north and to always be chasing you no matter where it leads. Uh, and Father, help us to trust you with our heart because um, we're going to run. We're going to run from the hard things. Uh, may we choose instead to go where you're calling us. Uh, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.